Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. Well, returning to the book of Exodus, we've come to the section now in Exodus that contains the ten plagues that God sent upon Pharaoh and the land of, of Egypt. They actually begin in chapter 7, verse number 14. We're going to read those verses in just a, um, a moment. They begin after Pharaoh refuses to listen to Moses' second attempt to deliver God's ultimate, uh, ultimatum to him. So remember, he appeared before him, before him once and said, God says, let my people go. And so Pharaoh says, uh, no. And so God sends him back to him a second time. And then Pharaoh increased the burden upon uh, the children of Israel. We've been talking about it the last couple of weeks. And so then God sends Pharaoh back the second time. He says, go back to him and deliver the same ultimatum. And so after Fa- uh, Moses delivers that second ultimatum, um, this time he does so with a demonstration of the miracle, one of the miracles that God had shown to Moses in the, in the wilderness. Remember, he said, if Pharaoh doesn't believe you, then perform this miracle. Take your staff, throw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And so Moses performs that sign in front of Pharaoh. So after he demands that um, the people of Israel be let go, in fact, it's Aaron. Aaron takes his staff, throws it down in front of Pharaoh, and it becomes a serpent And um, somehow the wise men, the sorcerers and the magicians that were there in Egypt that were a part of Pharaoh's court, somehow they were able to mimic this deed. And uh, although their their staffs, they became serpents, they were swallowed up by Aaron's staff. Uh, Even so, Pharaoh's heart was hardened further. And so he continued, he refused to listen to Moses. Um, In the wilderness, God had given, if you remember, God had given Moses two other signs to perform in in Pharaoh's presence to confirm that it was God who had sent him. Remember one was he says, put your hand in your cloak, and he pulled it out and it was leprous, and he said, put it back in your cloak, and when he pulled it out, it was healed. We're not told that Moses actually performed uh, that second sign in front of Pharaoh. He may have and we're just not told about it, or he may not have. The advanced state of Pharaoh's hardened heart may have precluded it. God may have said, you know, he's, his heart is hardened. Either way, the last sign that Moses was told to perform by God actually becomes the first plague that Moses initiates in the land of Egypt. So look In Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse number 14. So then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness, but so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water 
that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff and stretch it out. Uh, stretch out your hands over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Verse 20, and Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and he struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same thing, did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. And seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your words. We ask that, God, you would speak to us from it this morning. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us this morning. God, anoint me. Give me an instructed tongue, Lord, so that I might say uh, what you want to be said. Father, I pray that you would help me to preach with clarity, with conviction. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Accomplish your good purpose for each and every one of us this morning, those who are here to hear the good news of God's deliverance and his salvation. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Now, what we have just read, as I said, is, is actually the first of ten plagues that God inflicts upon Pharaoh. And he inflicts these ten plagues upon Pharaoh in the land of Egypt as a prelude to Israel's release and their going out, their departure from their exodus from the land of Egypt. But we're not, we're not going to read about each one of these plagues individually but I am going to preach about them collectively, okay? So I'm going to preach about these plagues. We're not going to go verse by verse through all of the plagues, but I'm going to preach about them collectively. Actually, I'm going to preach about the first nine plagues um, collectively because they themselves, those first nine plagues, are a prelude to the final plague, which I will preach about uh, separately. So to give you a big picture perspective of where we're going to be spending our time over the next couple of weeks, couple of three weeks. If you have your Bibles open, just flip through these next couple of chapters as I kind of um, outline it for you, all right? So plague number one is what we're talking about today, what we just read. It's in uh, chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, and it's the plague of the water, the water turning into blood. Plague number two is the plague of frogs, frogs in the land. And that's contained in chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. The third plague following the frogs is, uh, are gnats, gnats um, 
in the land. And that's in chapter 8, verses 16 through 19. Plague number 4 are swarms of flies. That's in chapter 8, verses 19 through 32. Plague number 5 is pestilence, specifically pestilence that afflicts the livestock of Egypt so that they die. That's in chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. Plague number 6 is boils, boils upon the uh, flesh of the Egyptians, and that's in chapter 9, verses 8 through 12. Plague number 7 is hail and fire. Um, and that is in chapters, chapter 9, verses 13 through 35. Plague number 8 is locusts, locusts that cover the land. That's in chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. And plague number 9, then, is darkness. Um, and that is in chapter 10, verses 21 through 30, 29. And then the last plague, of course, is the death of the firstborn which is a chapter, encompasses chapters 11 and 12. So the last plague I will be preaching about separately because the last plague is actually the main act in this drama of deliverance, these plagues that God inflicts upon uh, Egypt. But the other nine, the other nine plagues I'm going to be preaching about comprising roughly uh, beginning in verse chapter 7 and then chapters 8 through 10, I'm going to cover together over the next a uh, couple of weeks, okay? And I'll start today with this basic question about the plagues, okay? What is the purpose of these plagues? Why, why plagues? Why 10 plagues? Why did God send 10 plagues upon Pharaoh and the land of Egypt? You know, when we were in Tennessee, Irene was working for a pharmaceutical company, and um, she came home one day, and she told me about a conversation that she had had with a woman at, at work. She had been trying to witness to this lady, inviting her to come to church uh, with her, and they had been talking on this occasion. They had been talking about God, and this lady said to Irene something like this. She said, she was, I think maybe she was an ag agnostic. She said, I'm not sure that there is a God. She said, but here's what I think. If God exists... If there, if there is a God, she said, I imagine him to be like um, a boy playing with an ant heel. A boy playing with an ant heel. A, a God who is imposing his will on, on this world by exercising his, his supreme power against what are otherwise helpless uh, subjects. Inflicting them with the whims of his random desires. It's just like God playing in a sandbox and inflicting his will on the ants that he finds uh, there. So that's how I imagine God to be, if, if, God, if there is a God, because he seems uh, capricious, he seems unjust, he seems unfair. And, you know, and I thought then, I still think today, what, a, what an unhappy, not, not to mention an unbiblical but, but what an unhappy view of God, right? Never, nevertheless, how many knows there are many that hold, that hold to that sort of opinion about God, that he's just that kind of God. In fact, I would, I would say that probably even some Christians have some version 
of that kind of idea that God is, you know, playing in the sandbox. This is his world, and sometimes he just inflicts random acts upon, upon uh, people. So it's, it's an unbiblical uh, viewpoint, but there's many that hold to that kind of understanding of God. And, and they feel, those who hold to that kind of viewpoint, that understanding of God, they feel supported by examples such as this in the, in the book of Exodus, an all-powerful God sending a, sending a series of plagues upon a population of an entire uh, nation and upon Pharaoh. So it seems to be to them, it seems to be um, at best, it seems to be an unnecessary exercise of God's sovereign power. I mean, why, why could he not just achieve his purpose with some other less dramatic means? Why, why couldn't he just do what he wanted to do in some other way that didn't involve ten plagues and causing such pain and such, such drama? At worst, to them, it seems that God is cruel, that he's a cruel God. I mean, why would, why would God inflict such pain and such suffering upon the Egyptians. So our question this morning is, what, what is God's purpose in these plagues? Why, why does God choose to send 10 plagues upon Pharaoh and the land of Egypt? Well, I think that if we will understand this, then we may be able to understand better um, why God accomplished what he wanted to do and why he did it in a, in a certain way. Here, here's the thing. We assume that we know God's purpose in the ten plagues. Um, we assume that we know the answer to that question because we ask ourselves, well, what is God's purpose in the ten plagues? And we say the answer to that is, well, obviously the purpose is the release of Israel from Egypt. He wanted his people to be released from Egypt, and the ten plagues were the means by which God accomplished the release of his people Israel from Egypt. And that's certainly what God has in mind, the release of his people from Egypt. And the narrative, it does read as if that's the purpose of these several successive plagues. It's like, the narrative reads like this. Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And so God sends a plague upon Pharaoh in the, in the land of Egypt. So then Moses shows back up and says, okay, what do you say now? Let my people go. And so Pharaoh does what? Pharaoh hardens his heart and says, no, I'm not going to let them, them go. And so then God sends another plague. And Moses shows back up and says, okay, what about now? Let my people go. And Moses hardens his heart, and the pattern repeats over and over again until finally Moses relents. I mean, Pharaoh relents, and he says, okay, uh, you, can, you can go. But there's a problem with, with seeing God's purpose in, in that way. And, and here it is. The problem is that that suggests that God is fighting against Pharaoh. Or, or more to the point, it suggests that Pharaoh might have 
some control or some power to deny God what he wants. As if Pharaoh is able to say to God, no, I'm not going to do what you want uh, me to do. Do you see the, the little flaw in that logic? It gives, it gives Pharaoh more power than he actually has. Remember I said before, God is in control. Pharaoh is not in control. So that scenario gives uh, Pharaoh some power to deny God what he really wants. It goes something like this. It's like God is saying, here's what I want. And Pharaoh says, no. And so God says, okay, take this. Boom. And water into blood. What do you say now? And Pharaoh says, still, no. I'm not going to do. I'm not going to give you what you want. So then God says, okay, well then what about this? Boom, frogs. What do you say now? And Pharaoh says, you know, that's, that's slightly annoying and they stink and it's terrible, but still no, I'm not going to give you what you want. And so God says, okay, well, what about this big boy? Boom, gnats. What do you say now? You're going to let my people go? And Pharaoh says, ugh, that's disgusting, but no. And so it goes on like that for 10 rounds until Pharaoh finally says, okay, okay, I'll give you what you want. And that's, that's kind of the popular way that the plagues are understood, that it's God competing against Pharaoh, trying to get what he wants from Pharaoh. And he, he wrestles him and he coerces him to the point that Pharaoh finally says, okay, okay, I'll give you uh, what you want. But that gives Pharaoh way too much credit. Remember, Pharaoh's not in control. God is in control. He is Pharaoh. Listen, remember this. Pharaoh is not God's rival. He, Pharaoh cannot deny God anything that God wants. Amen? Pharaoh can't deny God anything that that God wants. In fact, Pharaoh is part of the plan. We've talked about that already. He's an instrument in God's hands. He's an instrument that God is going to use to achieve his purpose, which brings us back to the question, okay, so what is God's purpose? What is God's purpose in the 10 plagues? God's purpose certainly is to deliver his people from bondage. But listen, here's the key. It is to deliver his people from bondage in a particular manner. He's going to deliver them in a particular way. God's purpose was to deliver Israel in such a way that everyone would know that he is the Lord. And beside him there is no God. <laughs> That's what God was doing. That's the purpose that he has in these 10 plagues, to deliver his people, sure, but to deliver them in a way that Moses and Egypt and Israel and everyone around Egypt and us today, that everyone who ever hears about this story would know that he is God. <laughs> And that he does things his way, and he gets what he wants. That's, in fact, that's what he told Moses. 
That's what God told Moses his purpose was in these plagues. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. When he sends Moses to initiate this first plague upon Egypt, he says, And you shall say to him, you shall say to Pharaoh, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus, says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. You see, the purpose of this plague The purpose of every other plague after this first one is is not to coerce Pharaoh into releasing the people of Israel, but it is actually to convince him that actually he has no choice in the matter, that he is going to let them go. He's not trying to coerce Pharaoh into doing what he wants him to do. He's trying to convince him, Pharaoh, you don't have any choice in this matter. I am the Lord. I am God. So you see, God's purpose in these plagues is clearly to demonstrate that he is the Lord. Remember, the great I am. He is the I am, the sovereign God who has no equal. He wants He wants Pharaoh, and he wants Egypt, and he wants Israel, in fact, to see for themselves his absolute awesome power over all of creation. And he wants Israel in particular to see his amazing saving grace and how he desires to make them a people unto himself. The plagues were intended to show how God saved his people. How it was God who saved his people. It wasn't Pharaoh that let them go. Uh, in fact, just prior to the, lo- to, the, to the plague of locusts, God says this to Moses. This is in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. He says, Go into Pharaoh, for I have, have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. So, sure, I I suppose that it was possible for God to deliver his people by some other less dramatic means, some means other than these ten uh, plagues, but but if he had done that, God, uh, it, the Egyptians would not have seen God's glory. And Israel might not have remembered God's grace and, and his power. But why ten? Why, why ten plagues? We could take a lot of time to answer that question. And if we did go one by one through the, the different plagues, we could make some points of, about why ten, why the particular plagues that that God chose. Um, and we will talk about some specifics later when I come back and talk about uh, this next week. But let me give you the quick answer to that question this morning. Why 10 plagues? The quick answer is that um, through this series of plagues, God, 
completely dismantles the entire system of Egyptian idolatry. And he does so by undermining their faith, the Egyptians, by undermining their faith in, in the various little g, little g gods whom they believed were in control of their life, whom, whom they believed, um, whose favor they had to seek because they thought that their favor affected their, their livelihoods. And so through this series of 10 plagues, God is undermining their faith in their little g gods. And he is completely dismantling the Egyptian system of, of idolatry. Similar to other pagan religions, the Egyptians worshipped not just not one god, but they, they worshipped several gods. They believed each one of them were responsible for, for some particular aspect of their world or some particular aspect uh, of their life or some particular uh, point of existence in their life. For example, uh, here they, they believe, the Egyptians believe that the Nile, the river uh, Nile, that they believe that that was the life stream of Osiris, who was, who was one of their major gods in their pantheon of gods. They believe the Nile was the life stream of that God and that it fed the nation. So this God fed the nation through the life stream, through their own life stream. Um, and, and they believe that um, Hapi, which was a, a lesser God, but still a venerated God in their pantheon of gods, they believe that that God was actually in control of the Nile. So that God decided when the Nile would rise, when it would lower the tides and, and how much water was available. So they believed uh, that the Nile was inextricably tied to their gods. And because their lives and because their welfare depended on the Nile River, they worshipped and they feared these gods because they wanted their favor uh, because the Nile was so instrumental to their life, so important uh, to them. And the very first plague destroys that myth. The very first plague destroys Moses, who it must be remembered right, when you're reading through these plagues, remember God is speaking for who? He's speaking for God. He's standing in place of God, right? Um, and so Moses is standing in place of God, and in the very first plague, Moses turns the water of the Nile into what? Blood. Blood. <laughs> it's an amazing thing for the Egyptians uh, to witness. The Egyptian gods, they're thinking, the Egyptian gods are not in control. But how can he do that? Osiris is not in control. Hopi is not in control. How can the Hebrew God do that? The Hebrew God must be in control. The, the Hebrew God must control the Nile River. And so it goes. <laughs> one by one, through ten plagues, Yahweh mocks their gods by defying their power and by demonstrating his absolute sovereignty over, over Egypt and over mankind. Of course, 
Pharaoh is the real target. Pharaoh's the real target because according to Egyptian belief, Pharaoh was a god. That he himself was a god. In fact, the Egyptians believed, listen to this, the Egyptians believed that Pharaoh was the personification of the spirit of all of the other gods. And that in fact, they believed he was the incarnation of Horus, who was the son of the great God. So they believed Pharaoh was the son of the great God. And the great God was Amun-Re, who was the creator God. And he was the son God. And so the, the sequence of plagues, ten plagues through that sequence, God is undermining every Egyptian God, demonstrating that they're not gods at all, demonstrating that he is the sovereign God. And each plague progressively weakens Pharaoh's power, and it finally deals him, these plagues finally deals him a literal, a literal death blow. When his own son, who is the heir apparent and the next incarnation of Egyptian deity, his own son is killed and snuffed out. So when Pharaoh does finally let Israel go, here's what I want you to see this morning. When he finally lets them go, it's not because he has any power over them. It's because he has been shown to be completely powerless before the God of Israel. So God is demonstrating his absolute sovereignty and his total control over Pharaoh and the idols of the Egyptians. And friends, that's the God that we serve. Amen. He is in control. Amen. That's the God that we serve, a God of absolute power and sovereignty. But let me end this week with this because there's still this issue of suffering. There's still this issue of suffering. God inflicts considerable pain and suffering upon the Egyptians, not just Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not the only one to suffer. I mean, if it was just Pharaoh, then maybe we could be a little bit sympathetic. I is getting what he deserves, right? <laughs> But Pharaoh's not the only one suffering. God inflicts considerable pain and suffering upon the Egyptians. By his own words, he deals harshly with the Egyptians. And so was it fair for God to make them all suffer? Let me, let me make just a couple of quick responses to that this morning. All right, first of all, to ask that question is to assume that most of them, if not, or maybe at least some of them, is to assume that some of them were innocent, that they were innocent, and that they might have suffered unjustly. That here's some, these innocent Egyptians and they're suffering unjustly, and is that fair of God to make these innocent Egyptians suffer in, in that way? So it's an assumption that at least some of them were innocent. And it wasn't right for God to make them suffer. How many knows that's simply not true? It's not, y'all got quiet on that. It's simply not true that any of them were innocent. You know how I know it's not innocent of all of those Egyptians? Because it's not, it's not true of you. And it's not true of me, either of them. 
None of us are innocent. None of us. Boy, y'all got really quiet all of a sudden. <laughs> None of us are, are innocent. What we mean when we say that a person is, is innocent is we mean that he or she is comparatively innocent. In other words, when you compare them to someone else, when you compare them to someone like Pharaoh, or when you compare them to somebody like Hitler, or when you compare them to like your neighbor who does certain things, what we mean is that comparatively, when you compare them to someone else, then they are innocent, or at least they're not as guilty as someone else is guilty. So when you compare all of the Egyptians to Pharaoh, you might say that most of them were innocent. But here's the thing. They were not innocent. In fact, they were all slave owners. They had, they had all contributed to the oppression, if not the direct abuse of the Hebrews. Moreover, as I said just a second, second ago, no one is innocent when you compare them to God. No one is innocent. We are, we are all guilty. In fact, we deserve, us sitting here this morning, we deserve nothing more than what they received, judgment from God. That's what we all deserve is judgment from God. God is just, and listen, he is well within the nature of his holiness and his love to judge anyone, no matter how innocent they might seem, because the Bible says we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if we are not punished for our sins, how many knows it is not because we are innocent. If we are not punished for our sins, it is because we have received mercy from God. We have received God's grace in, in our lives. And that's what I want to point out this morning. That's the second thing about this I want to point out. Something that we sometimes overlook in this story, the story about the ten plagues in particular. Although these plagues are about God's judgment, just justified judgment. God is just in punishing whoever he wants to punish because we're all guilty. So God is just in handing out this judgment. But although these plagues are about God's judgment, here's the wonderful thing. They also reveal God's mercy and God's grace. There are many examples of that throughout the plagues, but I just want to show you one. So if you'll flip over to chapter 8. In chapter 8, you notice I, I told you that chapter 8 is about the plague of frogs, okay? So frogs come up out of the Nile. The Bible say these frogs, in fact, there was 
there's a direct correlation between frogs and one of the Egyptians god, Egyptian gods who had actually a frog head. The idol was a frog head. Um, so these frogs cover the face of, of the land. You remember that. Look at verse number 8. Exodus 8, chapter 8. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron, and he said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Let's stop just right there for just a second. Do you think God knew whether or not Pharaoh was going to make good on that promise? Absolutely. Does Pharaoh make good on that promise? No. No, he doesn't. That's another sermon for another day. God knew that he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to do that. But he promises God. He says, I'll let you go and I'll let you, I'll let you uh, sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, uh, be pleased to command, command me when I am to plead for you and your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and, and be left only in the Nile. In verse 10, and he said, tomorrow. And Moses, that's interesting, isn't it? I'd have been like, how about like right now? Can you do it like right now? <laughs> um, tomorrow. And so Moses said, be, be it as you say so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. What is he talking about? I, I'm going to pray. God's going to cut off the, so that you'll see and you'll know what? God is not only a God of um, judgment, but God is also a God of mercy. God is also a God of mercy. In fact, let's uh, continue. So that you'll say there's no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. And so verse 12, and so Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. And Moses, <clears throat> listen to this verse. This is an amazing verse. Verse 12 says, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. God, <laughs> In the midst of judgment and wrath, in the midst of God saying, I'm going to demonstrate to Pharaoh, to all of Egypt, that I am the Lord, and there is none like me. There's none besides me. In, in the midst of meeting out judgment, justified judgment, Pharaoh says, whoa, 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 this is terrible. Can you please ask God to take the frogs away and and God does it God shows mercy in spite of Pharaoh's hard heart in spite of the fact that Pharaoh deserved what he was receiving in spite of the fact that the Egyptians deserved the judgment of God God shows mercy Aren't you glad that God is a God of mercy? Amen. I should have got, got a bigger amen this morning because let me, let me let you in on something. If you haven't already picked up already, you're sitting here this morning because God is a God of mercy. <laughs> we all deserve God's punishment. We all deserve God's wrath. <laughs> he would be just in doing it, visiting his wrath upon us. Remember, I said we all deserve exactly what the, the Egyptians got. None of us are special. All of us are guilty. All of us deserve wrath. And if we have not received God's wrath, it's because we have received God's mercy. So let me ask you again this morning, aren't you glad that he's a God of mercy? Because I have received 
God's mercy. I am a recipient of God's grace. <laughs> I haven't gotten what I deserved. Thank God. <laughs> I have received grace. And I have received mercy. And I have, even though God would have been justified in punishing me, God has withheld punishment and has withdrawn punishment in my life at times. And it's not because, it's not because of me. It's just because he's a good God. And he's a loving. Even to Pharaoh. Even to the nation of Israel. When... When Moses goes back, and that's another point, I'll make just a second. When Moses goes back and cries out to the Lord, God says what? He doesn't say, no, Pharaoh's getting what he deserves, and it's too late. No, he says, okay, okay, I'm going to withdraw. I'll pull back. Because that, listen, that's God's nature. God's nature is that he's a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. He's a God of love. He's a God who wants to bless, and he's a God who wants to do good. Can I get an amen? That's God's nature. And so when, when Moses cries out and says, hey, Pharaoh's asking for a reprieve, God says what? It's just in his nature he says what? Okay, I'm, I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to show mercy. I'm glad that he's a God of mercy and a God of grace. And the amazing thing is, is that Moses intercedes for Pharaoh. Moses intercedes. Only, that's a remarkable verse to me in verse 12, that Moses leaves Pharaoh's presence, and the Bible says, and, and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs on behalf of Moses and the Egyptians. Mo Moses cried before the Lord. You know, I preached a couple of, I don't know if it was a Wednesday night or so back about when was the last time you cried over souls, people who are lost. Occasionally, you know, when you think about someone that you love that's lost, does not know Jesus Christ. I think about somebody that I know that, that I know that unless they repent, Jesus Christ comes, then they're going to go to hell then I, then I might cry over that individual because I know him and I love him and I'm moved inside. And I might cry and say, oh, God, have mercy on this person, my loved one. I want you to save them, God. I don't want to see them go to hell. I, I don't want to see them go into eternity without Jesus Christ. And I might, but you know what? I can't say I'm not sure that I've ever wept, cried to God on behalf of somebody who has mistreated me. But Moses goes before God and he, he again, I, I'll have other opportunities, I suppose, to emphasize this. Moses is a meek man. He's a, he's a humble man. He, he's a strong prophet of God, but he's a humble and he's a meek man. And he goes before God and he's moved enough to cry out, on behalf of Moses, I mean, on behalf of Pharaoh, and ask God to have mercy on the Egyptians. That's, that's remarkable stuff, isn't it? It shows us two things this morning. Number one, remember, let me remind you, Moses is standing in the place of who here? Jesus. Remember, we talked about that, that Moses is standing in the place of Jesus. Here's, I'm going to exalt you. And he did so, 
to prefigure how he was going to exalt Jesus Christ, his own son, right? So Moses is standing in the place of Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you and me. Aren't you glad that this morning Jesus goes to bat for you and for me? No matter how many times I mess up and I get it wrong, I'm so glad that I've got an advocate with the Father, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he goes to the Father and says, Lord, Father God, have mercy. Have mercy on Tim. He's, sometimes he gets it wrong and he messes up. I'm telling you, I do. <laughs> but God, please have mercy. Father, have mercy on him. Aren't you thankful for that? But then he's also an example for us, how God wants to use us to intercede for our world. Amen. I'm telling you, I've already said it in this series already. I believe that a lot of what we see going on in the world around us, I believe it's God trying to get our attention and saying, listen, (laughs) I want you to know I am the Lord. I want you... So a lot of the things, just like the plagues that he sent upon Egypt, I believe God is doing some things in America, and he's doing them to get our attention, our attention. And we've been through some tough days and tough times. um, I think we'll probably go through some more tough things in our nation. We see danger all around us, and when we see God doing the kind of things that he's doing in our nation, then I'm telling you, friends, this is an opportunity for us as a church to say, oh, God, have mercy on our nation. Oh, God, we see what you're doing. We recognize this is your hand at work in our world. But please, God, have mercy on America. God, have mercy on our land. And he is a merciful God. He is a gracious God. In fact, he has said that if my people will humble themselves, they'll repent of their sins, if they'll seek my face, and if they'll pray, then I will hear from heaven, I'll hear in heaven, and I will heal their land. But God is looking for some some intercessors that are willing to say, God, (laughs) you're right. We probably deserve your wrath. Probably, I shouldn't say probably, we do. We deserve your judgment because none of us are innocent. But please, God, have mercy. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play App Store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.